Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode number three hundred and eighteen. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They're online at respectsextet.com, and you'll find information about their performances and also how to buy their records. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the show's logo. You'll find him at twitter.com slash Dave Rabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. Thanks to All About Jazz for carrying the show. You'll find it at their website, allaboutjazz.com, and they have a widget available. And if you use that widget, you can display the latest episode of the show on your website. And if you do that, let me know, because I'll include a mention of your website in my weekly newsletter. You can get that newsletter by going to thejazzsession.com and clicking on the mailing list link at the top of the page. It's a great way to stay in touch with the show. You'll get one email each Monday, no spam, and that email will tell you who's on the show that week and usually the following week if I know that far in advance. And this usually links to photos from jazz shows here in New York and the occasional poem and that kind of thing. So please do that at thejazzsession.com. And while you're there, you might also want to click on the join link. You might also want to hear my, my phone go ding. But you might also want to click on the join link and become a member. It's uh, very simple. You can do it for as little as 10 bucks a month or $110 a year uh, and on up from there. And at the highest levels, you can become an official sponsor, just like the folks you heard mentioned at the top of this show. A few weeks ago, I had the pleasure to sit down with Gerald Wilson, who has had certainly one of the most storied careers of anyone still walking the planet in the jazz world. And uh, we're going to spend both shows this week hearing about Gerald and his life. Uh, and before we do that, we're going to hear some music from his most recent recording, which is called Legacy. My guest is the composer and band leader, Gerald Wilson. It is such an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. It's a great honor to be here. And, uh... <laughs> Don't get ahead of yourself. We haven't, we've barely started. You may not think it's an honor once we've done it. Okay. So uh, you've had an experience 
thousands of times that I have never had. And I wonder if you could describe to me what it feels like when you stand in front of a big band and you hear your music come out of all those instruments. Well, uh, it's really a dream come true with me uh, as a little child. I come from a musical family. My mother's a uh, pianist. She taught music at the school where she taught in Mississippi for all her life. Uh, she's a college graduate from uh, Jackson College. That's now Jackson State in Mississippi. And she's taught school there at that uh, little town where I was born, Shelby, Mississippi, uh, all her life. She taught there when it was segregated. And then she taught there after it was integrated until she was uh, too old to teach. And uh, it's, a, it's a great life. It's a dream. My dream come true because I had a brother and sister. We all in music. We, my mother started us, all of us, at the age of four, started me on the piano as my sister and brother. My sister was a classical pianist. She, she played very fine. Uh, my brother, he played some classical music, also could play jazz. Um, so my brother is very responsible for me getting so deep into jazz because he loved it. He could play it. He graduated from Tuskegee, Alabama, and then he went to Chicago and got his degree from the Chicago University. But as a child, uh, my grandmother owned the store in a little town in Mississippi about four miles from Shelby, where I was born. And uh, uh, my brother loved it, and we would, he would keep me up uh, late at night. We'd stay up to hear Duke Ellington coming <laughs> from the Cotton Club here in Earl Hines in Chicago. And anywhere there was some jazz, he would have it on, and we would talk. And I became, uh, should I say, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a jazz musician, and I wanted to be a band leader. And uh, all of my dreams came true uh, there for that. And uh, I had other dreams. Uh, I went to Chicago when I was uh, 15 years old. I went to the World's Fair in Chicago. Uh, it was a great experience because having attended school in Memphis, Tennessee for three years, uh, which was a large city, by the way. I, I studied there at, at Manassa High School, the same school that Jimmy Lunsford taught. Uh, however, I was just a little child when he was there, but uh, uh, had great training there. I uh, I started playing the trumpet in Memphis, Tennessee. Had a great teacher there, Professor Love, at the school, and. Uh, it's a great jazz town, Memphis, you know, right up from New Orleans there. And uh, as I say, at Chicago, there, the experience was real great because uh, it was there that uh, when I got on the streetcar, I didn't have to go to the back of the streetcar, and that was a new experience for me And uh, because in Memphis you did. And... Uh, uh, I begged my mother to send me to Chicago to go to school after I went to the World's Fair. But uh, she says, well, 
Uh, I can't arrange that for you, but I think I can arrange for you to go to Detroit, Michigan. So I says, well, as long as it's in the north, it's okay with me because that's where I'm trying to get it. So she did arrange for me to to go to Detroit. I lived with the family that had lived a couple of doors from us in Shelby, Mississippi. And uh, they, they, they liked me there as a child, and, and they took good care of me. And I was able to go to school at Cass Tech. This was a marvelous school. As far as this music department, as I said, was second only to Juilliard. But not only that, in every, uh, if you wanted to be a mechanic, you could go to Cass Tech. And you, when you got out of Cast Tech, if you wanted to be a mechanic, you knew how to build a car. <laughs> if you want, that's right. If you wanted to be in aeronautics, you, when you left Cast Tech, you knew how to build an airplane. So that's the kind of school that it was. But the amazing thing about Cast Tech and about Detroit itself, Detroit was different from any city in the world because. Every there were no uh, segregated schools in Detroit. All of the schools were integrated. The morning I went to school, I was surprised. I, I thought I was going to go to a, a segregated school because in Chicago and New York, uh, big cities like that, it was still segregation going on. Big, not in Detroit. You could go to the, uh, all the schools; they were all integrated. Mm-hmm. And not only that, uh, as I said, the city itself, you know, they could go, we could go to all of the big movie uh, houses in in Detroit. Uh, And uh, so Detroit turned out to be a a blessing in disguise to me. There in the music department is one of the greatest music departments in the city. Now, you couldn't get into there. To, uh, unless in, in the music school, unless you could already play your instrument, you couldn't get in there unless you could already read difficult music, and you had to take a test and everything before you could enter the school. Well, having a brother and a sister and a mother who were all music, I, I was well equipped for the, for that <laughs> when I got there. <laughs> yeah, and. Um, Another thing that happened to me there while I was there, uh, I, I, uh, I could get a chance to hear all of the great bands that played in the United States. Now, there was some segregation in Detroit. It wasn't completely. For instance, uh, the Greystone Ballroom uh, was a great ballroom. All of the big bands played there, white and black. Uh, Gene Goldkett, who was a band leader himself, owned the Greystone Ballroom. Okay. Gene Goldkett also managed uh, the McKinney's Cotton Pickers. They were one of the great jazz bands of that time.
Uh, he also managed another uh, black band there called the Chocolate Danders. And that band was uh, uh, led by the great Benny Carter, who was born right here in New York City. So all of these things, though, put together every Monday night at the Greystone was Black Night. In other words, every every Monday night you're going to see like Duke Ellington, you're going to see Earl Hine, you're going to see Chick Webb, you're going to see the greatest black bands in the world, the Sunset Royals, uh, everywhere. So uh, Detroit, even with that little segregation, as I say, we could go everywhere, and then it was a great uh, jazz town. It was a great jazz town with all, with all of those people. So uh, the thing that happened, I passed all of my tests to get into school. And uh, so they said, well, Gerald, everything is wonderful with you there. You're all right. You got one problem, Gerald. I said, what is that? You know. And they said, you got some C's in geometry and algebra in Memphis, <laughs> Tennessee. <laughs> so they say, you know what we got to do? We got to put you back to the ninth grade. Oh, no. Well, well, that's what I wanted. Okay. I wanted to study music there. So now I could study music there for four years. And so that was the dream. And the rest is uh, getting in with the city there and with the musicians there, sure. which I did. I was lucky enough to start with a young band there called Bob Perkins. He was a nice arranger, saxophone player. He's a good band. I learned a lot there. Then there was another young band there, Harold Green's band. It was a good band. It was a large band, the regular what they had, you know, three trumpets, three trombones, four saxes and all like that. And I worked up to Hal Green's band. And uh, I hadn't been used to reading uh, and playing the, the jazz arrangements that from the guys that who were great writers. And I mentioned their name, Milton Buckner. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, mm -hmm. but he played piano. And he played organ, and he was a, he was a, one of the greatest that we had. And I was lucky enough to, to make it in the band that he was writing for. So it gave me the experience of playing big-time arrangements because he made all of the big-time successful arrangements for Lionel Hampton's band. So, okay, with experience there with that band was great. Then the next band was a band in uh, Detroit called Gloucester Currents Band. He was a young musician who played saxophone. He could play the trumpet. He was a great arranger and composer. And he, I mean, he was an excellent guy. And his band was the greatest young band in Detroit. And I finally worked my way where I j joined his band. And I stayed with Gloucester for about, oh, Let's see, about three years, and then Gloucester got a chance to go to West Virginia to start West Virginia State College there for blacks to start a music department. He asked me to go, but I didn't want to leave Detroit, so I told Gloucester, you know, that I wouldn't be able to go. 
but to end up my association at that time with, with uh, Gloucester. Gloucester uh, started the music department there, and it was very successful. And after that, he left from West Virginia Co State College, and he became the executive secretary of the NAACP. Wow. So that's up to yeah. that point what has, what's happening. After Gloucester left, of course, what was I to do? By that time, when he left, I had already started playing with a, a band at the Plantation Club in Detroit, and they were all ex-members of McKinney's Cotton Pickers, and I was playing with them in this club. I had now gotten to the place I was playing the best job in Detroit that the salary was the best. And another thing about Detroit, uh, even the musicians' union w was not segregated. Where the, the unions all over the United States, they were segregated. Some of them, most of them were, were segregated, but not in Detroit. So I stayed there with that band uh, for a number of years, a couple of years playing with them. And it was there that... Uh, I heard a young band, I read about a young band in the uh, the Chicago Defender. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Sure. That's a black newspaper. And the Pittsburgh Courier. I read about a young band from Ohio that was in New York at the Apollo Theater. The name of it was Chick Carter's band. They played the Apollo they went from Nepal to Boston. They played in Boston. And then they came into Michigan playing. I knew Chick. He was a singer. He was a singer. And he had sung at the, uh, at the uh, Plantation Club in Detroit. So I knew him. So it just so happened. I said, gee, that's, a, that's really something. A young band already playing in those places. So it just so happened that Chick Carter needed a trumpet player. And he knew me, 
So he called me and asked me if I would join his band. And I was so glad to join it. Now, I was in my last year of high school in Detroit. And I said, yes, I wanted, yes, I'd love to join your band. (laughs) (laughs) So I did. I went to Saginaw, Michigan. They came here to a nightclub in Saginaw, Michigan. And uh, in Saginaw there, uh, I I liked the band. The band was terrific. Uh, They had some good young musicians, guys who could arrange and who could uh, play their instruments well. I also met a young man in the band there. We became really buddies. Uh, He liked me uh, when I saw him the first time I worked with him, and he liked me, and uh, his name was Snooky Young. (laughs) Snooky Young was a wonderful trumpet player at the age. We were the same age, by the way, same age. He was already a giant trumpet player already, and... uh, he was, we, I joined them, we played, I played three nights with them, and the job folded. Oh, no. <laughs> the, job, the job in the nightclub folded, you know. So it was just, it was just, wow, what are we going to do? And the guy, all the guys in the band liked me, so, and the chick said, well, look, we got, we got to come, we got to come back to Flint, Michigan to play a one-nighter here. And uh, so he said, but the guy said, we're going to go home until that time. So Snooky Young and and then says, come on, Gerald, and just go to Ohio and hang with us in in our home. You can stay. One of the kids in the band was a great trombone player named Mitchell Woods, who uh, ended up playing with uh, Count Basie and Duke Ellington. He played with both of them, fine trombone player. So they said, well, you come on, go away. You can stay with us in my house, you know, and just hang with us. Then we'll come back and play Flint, Michigan. Okay, we did that. Then we had another one-nighter in Dayton, Ohio, where we were going to battle Erskine Hawkins' band. Now, Erskine Hawkins' band was on top. They were from Alabama State College, uh, and they they were on top. And Erskine himself was a great trumpet player. He could play, play, had a great register. He could play high notes. He played the horn real well. The band was really great because they became the favorites here at the Savoy Ballroom. I mean, they really became the big favorites there, although Chick Webb played there too.
so we were battling them, you know what I mean? And uh, that night, uh, that day, that afternoon, I got a wire from Jimmy Lunsford. They said, if you'd like to join my band, call this number in New York, you know? So I put the telegram in my pocket and went to work that night. Well, I knew all the guys in Erskine Hawkins' band. I knew them personally because when all the bands would come to, including Duke Ellington, and any band that came to town, I, we would go up there, school, we were school kids and cast. We'd go up there and try to meet them and, you know, you know like talk with them, sure. those who would, uh, who would tolerate us, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So you get to know a lot of them. For instance, the Jimmy Lunsford band came to Detroit, and I would go up and I would... Uh, uh, I met Mr. Lunsford and everything, and he knew I was from Cass. When I said I was from, not Cass, uh, from uh, Manassas High School in Memphis, he had taught there. See, he taught there in Memphis, but that was I was just a little kid when he was te- teaching there. But anyway, uh, he, sent me, he sent me this wire and said, if you'd like to join the band, you know, call his number. So I told Sammy Lowe, in the Erskine Hawkins band, I knew Sammy real well because I'd hang with him when he'd come to Detroit. They'd come two or three times a year playing there at the Greystone Ballroom. So uh, Sammy says, Gerald Hurt, you got a wire to join Jimmy Lunsford's band. He says, what are you going to do? I said, look, I said, this is a young band we got here, and these guys are good. They got good arrangers. They got good players, and, they, and we're, they're really good. I'm going to stay with this band. And Sammy Lowe says to me, the band you playing with, they're breaking up tonight. <laughs> and I, he says, if you don't believe it, ask Ray Perry, who's a saxophone player and a violin player from Boston, Massachusetts. So uh, I went over to, to Ray. I said, Ray, they said the band is breaking up tonight. He said, yeah, Gerald, I'm all packed. I'm ready to go home to Boston. I said, wow. I ran to the telephone. <laughs> <laughs> you know? put my nickel in the telephone and I called that number Jimmy Lunsford and as luck would have it now Jimmy you figure this out like the way I thought about it at that time of night it's it's, it's down around about midnight you know Jimmy Lunsford is a young man himself he, you know he died at the age of 47 he was a young man himself so you wouldn't expect him to be at home that time in New York he's Got big Cadillac car. He lives in the finest place there. But that when the phone rang two times, he answered the phone. And I said, yes, uh, Mr. Lunsford, I'd like to join your band. As it turns out, I'm available. <laughs> so, so he says, okay, Gerald, you go down to the railroad station there in Dayton. He knew, well, you know, said go to the railroad station. There'll be some money there for you and a ticket to New York. When you get to New York, Eddie Tompkins, one of the trumpet players in the band, will meet you. And uh, all of that happened just like he said, you know. So I'm there. I got to, got to New York. And uh, by the way, at that time, I'm uh, 19 years old. I'm 19 years old. And Eddie met me. And the first thing we did 
after I got off the train, he, we had to start moving because they were going to leave town that night. He said, Gerald, so what are, we doing? what are we doing? I had to go to the tailor, to the tailor, because they had seven uniforms. Wow. The average band you see at that time had one <laughs> uniform. They had seven Seven, and they were the latest clothes that there was to have, starting from a morning English morning suit. And we that's the way when we play, like when we play the Paramount here in New York, we would change, we'd have on this uniform and the first show in the morning, and then the second show we'd have on another type uniform or whatever it was. And that went down through the evening until the last shows, which we'd have on our full dress tuxedos. And uh, that's the kind of band they were, they had trunks to carry all that in, to carry all of our shoes, everything. When you see one guy, you've seen like the whole band look like that. <laughs> so you can imagine what it meant to play in a band like that. Laundry bills for the Lunsford band must have been pretty impressive. Big the, I said the laundry expenses for the Lunsford band must have been pretty yeah, impressive. Yeah, however, you had to pay that paper getting oh, clean you? yourself. <laughs> but uh, we had to keep them clean. Sure. That's another thing. When you hit that stand there with the Lunsford band, you got to be, like, as you know, the Jimmy Lunsford band is the first ba black band to play the Paramount Theater here in New York. We, ben Jimmy Lunsford Band has so many white fans. We had as many white fans as black fans. And we played everywhere. Jimmy was booked all of the time. I mean, we'd have to force him to take, later after I'd been in the band, we'd force him to take a vacation. <laughs> yeah, we booked all the time because every, they wanted the Jimmy Lunsford Band everywhere. So... What happened there that day? We got I did the got my uh, measured for my uniforms. Then I came back to the YMCA down on 135th Street there, and uh, that's where we would be leaving from that night. Well, now it was Cy Oliver, who the great arranger mm -hmm. in the Lunsford Band. He was really, and not only in the Lunsford Band, he was. He was about the toughest ranger in the in the in the world. Absolutely. I mean, in the whole world of jazz. And so, when Cy would come to when the band would come to Detroit when I was in school, I I, I met Cy and he liked me. And uh, after that, when they'd come to Detroit, 
Cy would put a chair up by him in, on the bandstand. And Lunsford wouldn't say anything about me being there, you know, like they'd be at the Greystone, and, and I'd be sitting up there just, just sitting beside him, that's all. And he liked me, you know. So, so that night, when Cy saw me in New York, he didn't know I was coming. And he said, he looked up in the band, and he had to play out his two weeks' notice, see. So, so I says, what are you doing here? I says, I'm taking your place. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and he just laughed, you know. And we got on the bus, and we, we left, left New York and did a tour. We were touring in all the places we played. I didn't have my uniforms yet. And so, okay, we're waiting for my uniforms to come and waiting for his two weeks' notice to come. So Jimmy told me, so now you listen to the band, Gerald, every night, wherever we're playing, so you can get used to the band and sure. everything. So fine. So I was still very, he was like very nice to me. He was still taking care of me, really. And um, so we're traveling there, and... Uh, First night was in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. That's Thelonious Monk's home, you know. And so yeah, they said, Gerald, okay, come on in here and listen to the band now tonight. And yeah, I said, oh, yeah, I'll be there. And I came on in, and I'm listening to the band. And the band is sounding so good. And they, and I'm getting nervous while I hear it all this, you know. And I, I said, I don't know if I'll be able to make it in this band, you know what I mean? And I, I got, I even got kind of sick, you know. And uh, Trummy Young, the great trombone, trombone player, you know Trummy, I'm sure. Sure. Heard of him. Trummy said, look, Gerald, don't, don't you worry about a thing. Now, you come on. I was, I was really feeling sick. She said, come on, come on, go to the hotel. He put me on, he picked me up and put me on his back and took me to the hotel, put me to bed. And the next morning, I, hey, I was feeling pretty good, you know. Yeah. So then going on every night, I'd go and hear the band and uh, everything, and I'm listening. I'm getting more confidence as it goes. And then when we got to Cleveland, Ohio, my uniforms came. My <laughs> <laughs> uniforms came. And so uh, Jimmy said, okay, Gerald, you'll be ready to be to work tonight. So Cy si still had time on his two-week notice. So we'd be sitting there. They got sitting there beside each other. And uh, they played a number. And, and Cy si said, okay, play, play, Gerald. You know, I play. And so I said, okay, good. I read it. I could read good, you know, because I read it down sight, you know. And uh, everything's going great. And then they, they said, okay, Jerry, play the solo here. It was on Stardust, you know. I, I already knew Stardust. I had played it in Memphis in school. <laughs> <laughs> so I had no problem with it. I played my solo. All the guys in the band gave me, you know, that thumbs up you know he sound good you know so and then we go as we go down the music Sai Oliver says now this this next number we're gonna play Gerald say if you play this number at sight I'm gonna give you five dollars <laughs> <laughs> I already knew the number <laughs> 
after we finished playing, he gave me the five dollars. <laughs> and then that was then the side was gone, and uh, I was there, and I stayed there for three years. Was it during this time that you started arranging? Well, uh, you know, I had studied harmony in uh, in uh, orchestration in Detroit at school, and I had not yet. I, I didn't make an arrangement for them until after I'd been in the band all year, a little over a year. Uh, so I was just playing trumpet in the band, but then I uh, I made an arrangement. I made my first arrangement. It was on Sometimes I'm Happy, a little pop tune they used to have. You know, Sometimes I'm Happy, Sometimes I'm Blue. And it, and did you do that because somebody asked you to or just to see no, if you could do no, it? No, no, I no. I, I wanted to write because that was one of the things I wanted to do, be a writer. Sure. Yeah, I wanted to be like Cy Oliver, you know. I didn't try to copy him, but I wanted to be a writer. And I had studied harmony and, and test. You had to take it. See, Cash Tech, you, they, they, they have your, uh, what you're going to do when you're there. You got to take harmony. You got to take orchestration. You got to be a major on your instrument. All of that. I'd had that. See, I had harmony, so I knew and I, I could, I could get around the piano because I said my mother started me on the piano and my brother and my sister, they both play the piano. My brother played jazz on it. My brother used to replace, we used to replace and sub for Teddy Wilson. Wow. See, Teddy Wilson and my brother graduated the same class in Tuskegee. So my brother could already play jazz and I, I was, you know, I was ready. I'm going to give it a try. Okay, my first one, it, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, terrible or anything, but it wasn't exactly like for the band, for their band. So then my next arrangement and orchestration was a number I wrote called High Spook. <laughs> Thank you. 
a new chord progression that they had never heard in their life. And uh, they, they liked it. I mean, it came off big, you know. It was different from any, 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 anything, any arrangement they had. It was good, and we recorded it on Decca Records. Then, after that, I went into my next number that I did from, was a number called Yard Dog Mazurka. Now, I didn't name that. There was a young white writer that wrote for Jimmy Lunch's band. His name was Roger Segur. Roger worked here in New York. He worked for Joe Glazer's office. He wrote for singers. He wrote for everything. He was a real good arranger and everything. And he liked me, you know, because he did arrange. And after I wrote, wrote my first arrangement, it was different from anything the Lunsford Band had ever played, and Roger liked me. <laughs> <laughs> so the next arrangement I got on was an original, and it was called Yard Dog Mosaic. I let Roger name it, see? Roger, a young Jewish kid. So Roger, I was over at Roger's house here in New York, and I went to his house that day evening for dinner. And I'm just sitting up there, and I say, "Hey, Roger, look here. I want you to listen to my introduction. I'm making an arrangement on Stomping at the Savoy. I was just going to make an arrangement on Stomping at the Savoy." So I went to the piano, and I played. I said, "Listen, this is my introduction to the number I'm writing on, you know." And I, I played it on the piano. She said, hey, Gerald, that's, that's great, man. He says, you know what you ought to do? Says, you ought, he says, you ought to just go on and, and repeat the, what you got there, that eight bars introduction, and then uh, do it again. That's called the AA. See, you play, you play the, the first eight bars, you play it twice. They call it AA. Then you play the B section, which is called the bridge, and then after the bridge, you repeat the A, see, <laughs> the one time. So you got 32 bars there. So, so you, you only needed to write eight more bars, and you would have had a song at that point, right? Write a bridge. A bridge, right? All yeah. I had to do was write a bridge. He said, now, write, if you write a bridge, that's all you got to do, and it'll be your song. It'll, you'll own the song. It's your song, you know? So I, I, I went on home, and I thought about it. I said, okay. So the next day when I saw Roger, I said, Roger, I said, I did what you did. I wrote a bridge from a number, and that's what I'm going to do. And, uh, he, you know, so it came off so good 
And I, I said, you know what, Roger? I says, I didn't think of that idea, what you told me. So if you hadn't told me, I wouldn't have done that. I would have still been riding, stomping at the Savoy. And I said, I'm going to give you half of this number. And I did. So when you see on the record, it says Gerald Wilson and Roger Segura. That's what happened with it, and I let him name it. <laughs> he named it Yard Dog Mazurka. <laughs> so that was all right with me. But anyway, and after that time, I started writing. When I left the Lunsford Band after three years, I had over all about 10 or 12 numbers in the book that they play every night because the, the things out in the Yard Dog Mazurka was like no, no what any other man was doing and the chord progression was one they had never heard before so uh, that that got me in good there with the Lunsford Band and I kept around and I got better as we got along and then after three years what happened I got my greetings from the government the war came on See, they had they canceled our trip to Europe. We were transferred to go. We were in the Paramount Theater. We were all packed with our bags and everything. We were to go right that night and go to, to get the Ile de France to, to Europe. They had been to Europe before. See, before I joined the band, they had already been in the Europe, to Europe. And, and in the meantime, I want to tell you, my buddy Snooky out of the band, see, uh, one of the trumpet players left the band. Eddie Tompkins left the band. So Jimmy said, yeah, you, you, you ever heard of Snooky Young? I said, yeah. He said, how is it? I said, he can play. Snooky Young could already play. He was a giant on the trumpet. He could already play everything Erskine Hawkins played. He, played <laughs> and he, could, he had a great intonation. So uh, Jimmy said, I said, yeah, Snooky can play the trumpet. So after we got, got Snooky in the band, and, you know, like when we first 
I had Snooker and Gerald uh, together. Everybody was saying in New York, you know, around the music uh, people there, over at the Braddock, you know, where all hang out. You could go to the Braddock, you see every every great musician in the world, there, Duke and all of them. You know, and uh, Snooker came in and they were talking, well, Jimmy Lunsford got two schoolboys in his <laughs> band, uh, but the band got better. Because we had been trained so well, I mean, we we knew it. When you listen to their records from the time that we we joined, that band got better because we were we were, we had been trained well, and uh, and so Snooky and I were there. And then pretty soon, everybody everybody loved Snooky and looked Snooky and Gerald. You know, Ben West and those guys. They'd like Ben West to come and get us and take it. Now, come on, I'm gonna take you guys downtown to Kelly Stable. You're gonna hear Coleman Hawkins and and and, and Roy Eldridge. You know what I mean? And so it, it became really a dream, really a dream, you know, booked all the time. And uh, then I got my greetings to join, to go into the service. So I didn't tell Snooky. And uh, see, we're the same age. Mm-hmm. We're the same age. And uh, Snooky, so Snooky said, and I told some of the other guys in the band, I said, I got my thing here. I'm, I'm going to have to go to the service. And I didn't tell Snooky. So Snooky, somebody told him, and Snooky says, hey, why didn't, why didn't you tell me you're leaving the band? I said, well, I got to go. I said, I got my things. I got to go. The government says I got to go to the service. He said, well, I'm the same age as you are. So the, I got to get mine then. They, obviously, they're going to send me mine. But Snooky had two kids at that time. Mm. He had two kids. He never did go to the service. <laughs> so, But anyway, I went on into the service. And uh, everything was great there because, see what happened. This is really a great story. Mrs. Roosevelt told FDR, who was the president of the United States, says the Army is integrated, the Marines are integrated, you've got to integrate the Navy. The Navy was not integrated. The Navy had some black guys that worked on the on the base, but they were just servants for the officers during to eat they eat in the mess hall. They just served them, but they were not in the navy. Mm. And he says this has got to be. Uh, the, Ms. Roosevelt said it has to be a jazz band, jazz band. So. Uh, Willie Smith was already there in the Navy. You know, Willie Smith was with the Jimmy Lovett Band. He was one of the greatest alto sax players ever. He had added five notes to the horn that Adolph Sax invented. (laughs) (laughs) Adolph Sax invented sax. You push the octave key in the back there, and if you go up to high F, he took it five notes higher. He showed you could play the, the saxophone five notes higher than that. I think there was one other guy could do it, a white guy named Dick Stabile. Mm-hmm. You might have heard of Dick Stabile. But as I say, he and Willie were the only guys that could do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so 
When I went to in Detroit, I was living in, I'm not Detroit, I was living in Los Angeles. Now, I had made my home in Los Angeles in 1941 while I was with the Lunsford Band. So I went down to get examined to go into the service. So the doctors, he's examined me and everything, so and so. So he examined me and he says, then he says, you know what? It's uh, you, uh, No, he says, you're supposed to go to the army, but as he read down this little sheet of paper, he said, oh, but down here says that no matter where you are inducted, you are to go to Great Lakes, Illinois, in the Navy. And, and that was it. I got on the train, went on to the Great Lakes, and, and it was in the Navy band. Now, they had handpicked. All of the guys that were in the band, because Ms. Ro Roosevelt said it has to be a jazz band. She was a very smart woman, because if you play jazz, you can play anything they go have to play in the Navy. You can say, <laughs> oh, you're going to play some marches for God right. and, <laughs> and raise the flag in the morning and lower it in the evening, you know. So... Everything went great there. All I had to do was write music and play in the band. All I had to do. That's music from Gerald Wilson. We'll continue with part two of my interview with Gerald Wilson on the next episode, number 319. In the meantime, this is The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The show is sponsored by Matt Rock, Bunat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. You'll find all 318 episodes so far at thejazzsession.com. They're free. You can download them and stream them. And if you like what you hear, please do become a member and help keep the show going. And in the meantime, get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can and come back for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.
evening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.